fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the group that does that. We are called The Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. I was thinking for this episode, we forgot we should have planned for a lot of cool cameos because that would match the theme of the movie we're looking at. That is, you know, that's really great. We should have emptied out our Rolodexes, which don't even really exist anymore, but emptied out our contact phone list. I think we should have called in some favors on this. I'm actually with you on this one, Denon. Uh, but one of my favorite people's already with us. That's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you recording from this week? You know, today I'm, I'm at the beautiful Orpheum Theater where all the magic actually happened in this film. Right at the site of the first crime. I love it. That is that is a beautiful theater, by the way. It is great. Um, so we are talking this week. We are talking about this is our last day of Schwarzenegger September. It is very sad, but also incredibly exciting because this is from what I remember in our last episode. This is both of your favorite movies. This is the last action hero. Uh, this kind of falls low on my list, but this is number one for you guys. Top reason why it's your number one. Denon, I'm curious what you think. Well, for me, let, let's be clear. I put in my top three. I hadn't committed to a number one because I don't commit. I have commitment issues. But <laughs> sure. that that being said, I just, I, I, I made it in my intro. I love the cameos, the references. Like this was kind of Schwarzenegger kind of going out and making a like a sort of nod to his entire career. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think that's exactly what happened. Uh, ben, what, what, why is this your favorite movie? Well, I, again, I'd put it in my top, top two, top three. I think it's a dead heat with uh, Total Recall. I just, it was fun. You know, a lot of, a lot of, and I think it holds up better than a lot of the other movies just because it's so silly, it still works. Whereas some of the older films that are trying to be serious, they don't feel serious anymore. No, well, I'm serious about one thing, is I'm pretty sure you guys said this was your favorite movie, and, and I'm going to go back and look at the film and make sure. So th that's very important. we got to get that straight. But this is, this is a very weird one, guys. I mean, we're going to go into some very strange territory here, because this is almost Inception-esque. There are several layers of reality, and we're going to go through each one uh, very carefully and, and very precisely. And first of all, the one thing I want you guys, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there is a picture of Pandora on the door of the theater when they close it. Did you guys know that? I did see that. I, I missed that, Dan, because I have no observation skills whatsoever. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I thought that, that was actually kind of a cool little thing. All right, quick summary of the movie. You've got Danny, who loves movies. He loves Jack Slater, who is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. So you have a movie world, and he's watching a movie within that movie world. And the projectionist, who is an old-timey kind of guy, he loves Harry Houdini. As a child, he was given a magic ticket. That ticket is then split in half, and it turns out that that ticket allows you to enter into the movie world and then hijinks ensues that is the summary of last action hero um okay so here are the things we're going to talk about here we are going to talk about two very important things number one 
that there are worlds out there that could possibly have different physical properties. You know, we're, we're talking about three levels here. We're going to talk about our world, the conven- conventional physics world of which, Denon, you are a master of. That is that is your thing. We're going to talk about the movie world where Danny is watching the movie of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then we're going to talk about the movie within the movie world. And all three of these worlds have very different physical realities, different rules, uh, some written, some unwritten. It's a very strange stuff. And we're also going to talk about how to travel between those worlds. How do we go? from one world to the next. And I think that that is where we're going to start this. So in this movie, it's a Harry Houdini-inspired magic ticket that allows travel between the worlds. So first of all, I want to ask you guys, are you Harry Houdini fans, and do you believe he had the capability of quantum time travel and space and time travel? Well, definitely yes to the fan side, Dan. I absolutely love magicians. They're, they're one of my favorite things. Definitely no to the did Harry Houdini actually have this ability. But it's a, it's a very intriguing ability. We've talked about this travel between dimensions a lot. And to me, this has an interesting new twist on it that will be fun to get into. So when you look at it, I think at its core, this has some of the most solid physics in one way, which is we pretty sure one way you get different universes is at the beginning you have a quantum foam and you create all these different space times. And in these different bubbles, the physical constants and the laws of physics can vary. There's no reason that they have to be the same. So it's completely conceivable, as you said, that we have these parallel or different universes. The trick is how do you get between them? Um, And there's some interesting ideas I might add after I see what Ben's thinking about. Well, I'm curious, Ben, what do you think? I imagine you you would think of something a little more technologically advanced than a split magic ticket. Well, sure. (laughs) I mean, obviously, just a piece of paper isn't going to do this for you. You're going to need some sort of big pile of energy to merge the quantum worlds together so you can travel between them. But I think what's even more interesting is that the idea that Even the movie world that we've made up, somewhere out there, that's a real world. You mean mean theoretically, or do you mean that that is actually a world? I mean, theoretically, if there's infinite multiverses, then even the things we've said in movies are out there somewhere. And actually, that's what I like about this, Dan, is to me, I think one way to interpret it is it's not so much that he's going into the film... But the film is a reflection of this other universe, and it's Mm. the portal to the other universe. So it's a little subtle twist on it. So the movie ticket is kind of maybe like a key to some other device that's in that theater that was left behind by ancient aliens. And when you Mm. turn on that device, Mm. you actually transport to the world that the movie represents. It's kind of like a mirror, a magic mirror traveling. But it's also kind of interesting because when we talk about these parallel universes, there's a a certain meaning to close to us. Ones that are maybe close to us in physics are perhaps the ones that are also closest to us from a traveling point of view. So that's the other intriguing idea that I think underlies this. Because even though there's some very silly things that happen, at its basic core, it has to be very similar to ours because when we go into it or when the person in the film goes into it he can still breathe talk move and you know there's close similarities between the arnolds and the different universes 
Well, I just love that aliens care so much about movies and Schwarzenegger that they would have created a device to enter into the world where it is all about them. I love that concept. Um, now, one thing I got to ask here, guys, because as far as I know, we've talked a lot about time travel. There's there's a point where two Arnolds exist at the same time. Is that possible in the in this scenario that you've set up? Um, I don't know who who would have the best answer for that. I can go with that, Dan. The answer is okay. clearly yes. Because we're really talking about fundamentally different universes. So they're fundamentally different Arnolds. They're just very, very close to being the same. So it, it's very different than the time travel paradox where you take the actual Arnold from the future and bring him back. This is an Arnold from a completely different universe. And that's why he's actually able to make a comment about not liking the Arnold he runs into. Yeah, I, it's pretty clear that Jack Slater is a very different kind of person than uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jack Slater is one of a kind for sure. I, I like this idea. I mean, I think this is really cool. So so essentially what you're saying is that there are different physical constants in each world, but they're slightly the same in some areas, but different enough in others to show some of the properties, the exotic properties we're talking about. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of those exotic properties because one of the fun things is all of the crazy stuff that goes on in this movie on three levels. So I'd like to really talk about, you know, um, you know, one thing I want to mention, one thing really quickly before we start. One of the cool moments in this movie is when Jack Slater, who's in the movie movie, the movie within the movie, comes into the movie world. And it's kind of almost like how Buzz Lightyear realizes he's a toy. You know, Jack Slater has this moment where he realizes that he's just a TV, you know, a fictional character. That's kind of a cool moment, don't you think? It's a very cool moment, Dan. But it also, if, if again, I'll give another one of my spoiler alerts now that I've learned how to do it. Sure, when right. he's back in the movie world, what's interesting is he seems to have actually gained some free will, which is consistent with my theory that the movie is a portal to an actual other world where they do have some control over their life. So it's an intriguing sort of perspective there that he he has this realization of being, quote, just a movie character, but when he goes back, he utilizes that realization in an interesting way. Hmm. Okay. No, I think that that's, I, I mean, I really like that. And I think that he learns a lot of things, um, which we're going to get to. So I, I kind of broke this down into categories. So one of the things, let's talk about some of the cool geography, the physical proper, the, the kind of the cool movie properties of geography. So the first thing, he walks into the theater. Now, Ben, you know, I don't want to I don't want to give you your, your your undisclosed location, but I've I've you and I have hung out in downtown Los Angeles, where I believe is where the Orpheum Theater exists. Correct. It, it is in lo downtown Los Angeles, right on Broadway. Right. So I so anyone who's visited downtown Los Angeles and gone to a theater there covered in graffiti in the neighborhood that Danny is supposedly in, you'll notice a couple of things. So I'm going to break it down by this. I'm going to go the real life physics. OK, so what I see is in real life, that theater would be boarded up and no kid watching would be watching movies in it, especially if a homeless person was sleeping there. There wouldn't be any patrons. It would be very dangerous. Uh, I would argue the area would be a little more diverse than it was, and there would be more legitimate and implicit danger than we see there. Now, in the movie world, Danny feels safe enough to watch movies and walk through that neighborhood, which is crazy, uh, a very minimal damage, a very minimal danger, and plus his mom is kind of like okay with him walking in that world. So I, I don't know if this if there's any physical like properties of this, but what did you guys think about this aspect? Well, I think. 
I th- there's something there. Although he's while the theater is in is in Los Angeles, he lives in New York. So I al- I already think there's some sort of weird space travel thing going on here because he lives in New York and the street in the movie is actually New York. So he's already traveling through space and time to get to a theater in Los Angeles as soon as he steps through the door. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. And I think part of this, Dan, has less to do with different physics and more to do that with the fact that you are in different actual universes and they are going to have a slightly different history, right? So if the parameters, the initial conditions, things were a little different in this bubble of space-time, you'll get things that are very similar Okay, but with a different geography. And so I think the real tricky piece is the theater initially is in New York. But when he comes back out of the movies, he comes back out in L.A. because that's right where the premiere is happening. And then he goes back in and comes back out in New York. So to Ben's comment, there, there are some weird spatial connections as you make these transitions between different universes. But I feel like... There's a little bit, uh, some of this is simply solved by the fact that it just is a different universe. So not everything is going to be exactly where we think it is in our universe. Now, if I may just have a point of correction here, just because I don't want to get confused. I believe Jack Slater, the movie within the movie, he is in Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. Uh, Danny lives in New York. Yes. Yes. Ar- so, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, the character Arnold Schwarzenegger, that premiere is happening in New York, I believe. Oh, it was? I yes. thought it was in L.A. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought they went to L.A., back to New York, back to L.A. and all that. Okay. Although the theater w- was also in L.A. <laughs> that yeah, that the actual premiere. theater's in L.A. <laughs> right. Okay, so I stand corrected. They're always in New York when they're in Danny's world. And the theater's just happened to have been built in New York instead of L.A. because that's what that slightly different universe that he's in had happened. That makes sense. Okay, now let's move on. One of the other kind of fun moments in this movie, so we'll start backwards. Uh, there's, there's a moment, first of all, I love that there's a blockbuster in this movie, <laughs> and I love that Angie Everhart is, is, is a person who's checking out movies to people. That's great. But that's the joke that, you know, everyone everyone in the Jack Slater movie, in the movie movie, is a model that walks around L.A. Now, in the movie, just the regular movie where Danny is, is a character, everyone in the movie is an actor and an actress, right? Like they are going to be better looking than most people because that's kind of what what an actor and actress, what we've assigned them to be. So there is a level of that. Uh, And then real life, I live in L.A., I got to say, L.A. is a better looking city (laughs) than most cities, but that's only because a lot of the actors and actresses live here. I thought this was kind of a cool moment, but is there anything that would that would be a direct correlation between someone's attractiveness and where they live based on these different dimensions? Now, really quickly, I want to mention a couple of things here because this question may seem to be subjective. Everyone has their own idea of what beauty is. But in fact, we do have a couple of guiding principles. Number one is bilateral symmetry. People find biological creatures, be them human, be it butterfly wings or a human face, uh, they find bilateral symmetry beautiful. And also the golden rule, a series of proportions on the human face that when factored in can actually have a level of beauty. While these are typically universal in broad strokes, obviously, they're not universal to individual tastes, but I think that we could envision a, a, a dimension that would at least factor in some of these things and be conducive to producing biological creatures that form factored to these characteristics. Well, I think that is one of the factors that happens perhaps in the evolution within the universe, right? Evolution is going to be slightly different. 
Um, if you think about it, it always fascinates me how much of a great variety there are of what people look like. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. But you can imagine if the physical constants were slightly different, maybe it doesn't allow for such variety of evolution and people look more similar to each other. And it just so happens that in this universe, what turned out to be very similar, we equate with the model actor look. I see. So everyone is basically from Sweden in the uh, in the movies. I mean, they're yeah, very, very, like very, that. very beautiful culture over there in Sweden. Well, oh, very homogenous as well. They all and they look like a Hollywood movie <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You walking around. Um, okay, that's kind of an interesting take on that. You know, I wanted to, one thing about travel. I forgot to mention this. So we see first of all they have the, the La Brea tar pits in the movie movie, which I love. They're right by my house. I love I love yeah. the tar pits. One thing that's kind of cool. So in real life in Los Angeles, it takes about an hour to get anywhere in LA if you're driving. <laughs> in the movie world, it takes roughly the length of a conversation to get from point A to point B. And in the movie movie, teleportation appears to be required. So, <laughs> you know, they at least get the things instantaneously. Um, I, I like this version of travel. And I got to be honest, Ben, I think you'll agree with me that you living in LA, you would love to have the teleportation element to just kind of go and appear wherever you want to appear. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it'd be great if you could go from a, you know, a beautiful rooftop in Long Beach to the tar pits in the span of falling off the roof. But <laughs> in, <laughs> right, yeah. in reality, the tar pits are nowhere near uh, Long Beach. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, I do like, Dan, how the kid at one point points out, oh, the, the surrounding change because we're on a movie set. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and it is clear that as you get into the movie movie world, the geography really is incredibly different, and geography works in a slightly different way. And this is an interesting conundrum for me. Is it really a slightly different physics that's making, like you said, travel happen faster? Or is it just that the L.A. of the movie movie world is structured a little different where the tar pits are right under a hotel instead of near where you lived in? Um, so, you know, it's an interesting question what actually is happening in that movie movie world. Yeah, that make, that makes a lot of sense. And I think since we're talking about tar pits, one of the things we've got to talk about is tar. Great scene in this movie about tar where in the movie movie, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets covered in tar and can wipe it off with, I think, a, you know, a chamois that he happens to have in his back pocket. But in real life, you know, tar comes off probably in a few days. In a movie, tar will come off in a few scenes. And in the movie movie, tar comes off in a few seconds. Now, this is definitely a physics property, I have to say. So much so, Dan. We're moving definitely into the physics area and what is different about the constants. As someone who spent a lot of time in Santa Barbara, I can tell you after walking on the beach, you can get tar off, but it takes baby oil and a lot of scrubbing. Um, And that's dried tar that sticks to your feet. Um, uh, Covered in the tar pit tar, very different situation. But it's fundamentally a friction problem, and it's fundamentally an interaction between the molecules of the tar and your skin, which if the laws, you know, the laws of physics, the, the physical constants are slightly different, maybe it wipes off faster. An interesting thing to speculate on. It's also possible, it's, as we were talking about, where it's a more attractive universe, maybe it's a hotter universe too, where the tar is more liquid at the ambient temperature because <laughs> our tar is not that soft at 
at uh you know 85 degrees <laughs> right right that's essentially true <laughs> I, I like this because it gets into our first moments of real kind of change in the physics because as we're getting into some of these next one these are really fun so the explosions right we we love action movies explosions are a big part of action movies so when i look in real life i think explosions are pretty rare and they're often dangerous i think we could all agree on that in the movie world i think there's a significant reduction in explosions they do happen in danny's world but they are they are slightly more dangerous that uh, slightly less dangerous than they would be in real life. And then in the movie movie world, borderline everything explodes. As a matter of fact, Jack Slater has a great line when he's in the uh, the movie world where he tries to shoot a taxi to blow it up and it just puts holes in the taxi, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, and also things randomly catch on fire in the movie movie world. This one hundred percent has to be a physics thing. Things just are more explosive in the movie movie world than in. I, I think that's true. And one of the things to think about, right, our explosions are really a rapid burning of oxygen. Uh, that's what we're used to. That's what an explosion in a fire is. And I'm wondering if chemical reactions are slightly different. Again, those are based on physical constants and the way electricity and magnetism works. It's fundamentally chemistry is electricity at the end. Um, and the atmosphere could be a slightly different composition, just enough different to change some of this. The materials could be a little different. I love that cars just burst into flame sort of randomly because they're flying through the air, um, <laughs> right, not necessarily yeah. <laughs> having been shot. So, yeah, this is an interesting direction. And this is something you probably could explain with physics if you looked into it deep enough. I think there's also something that there may not be as many consumer safety laws in this universe. You know, they didn't have a <laughs> right. Ralph Nader to uh, expose the unsafe at any speed issues <laughs> like we did. <laughs> no, that's very true. And they, they have immediate access to dynamite, which we'll get into later on, which, yeah. which is kind of impressive. Uh, so now we got to talk, you, you, Denon, you mentioned cars flying through the air. The laws of gravity appear to be suspended here. You know, uh, here in the real world, cars obey the, obey the laws of gravity. In the movie world, cars still jump, but they seem to still kind of defy the laws, but they do get a lot of air when they hit a bump. And then the movie, movie world, you got cars on two wheels, you got some Dukes of Hazard style flying through the air. And I think at one point, a car even drives on water. Again, this has to be, this, this, we're talking about, Einstein would be spinning over in his grave if he saw this stuff. Well, it, it may not be so much that the law of gravity is fundamentally changed as the constants in it are. Um, and so the strength of gravity is very different. Um, that's part of it. It's clear, though, that I think both electromagnetism strength and gravity strength are different. We already saw the electromagnetism some with the tar. When we think about cars, there's a scene where Arnold just drives through the wall of a bridge and if you look at it, his car is not damaged. So clearly the forces holding the concrete together are very different in this case. And it may or may not be that it only happens when cars hit it. That would be a curious thing to see. But he points out and he makes the comment when he's in the movie world, he throws somebody into, uh, no, in the movie movie world, when he throws the guy into the wall and he actually goes through the portal, he comments on how that usually makes people go through the wall. Right, so walls yeah. and structural things are very different, which is electricity and magnetism. So both of these go together, Dan. Constants are, I think, much different, making gravity and electricity and magnetism weaker. Hmm. Well, that, you make a good point there because there is a material science question as well. When uh, Jack Slater tries to punch a hole into the into a car to steal it, he realizes that he hurt his hand. And in the movie movie world, you know, that rarely happens. Glass just seems to crumble around someone's hand as it goes through it, which includes structures like walls and tables and chairs as well. Definitely, Dan. And that's what I think is fascinating about this. And those are ones that make sense 
if we assume physical constants can be different, which is kind of exciting about this movie. Well, now I got I, Ben. I got one for you here. This is really important. I got I got to understand this. So at the end of the movie, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Pause the episode if you haven't seen the end of the movie. There is a moment where Jack Slater is in the movie world. And he is going up against his arch enemy with the, the yellow jacket. I forget his name. And he's on top of a rooftop and it's covered in water. And he takes an axe and he chops through an electrical like wire and then electrocutes him. This I want to know how electricity works. So in the movie... I'm glad you brought this up, Dan. Because okay. the movie, movie physics, movie electricity is very different than real electricity. <laughs> For sure. Well, from what I can see, the in the movie world, a pole easily cuts through the metal casing housing the housing the electrical uh, wires, and then once it hits the water, it's got blue arcs, and the electricity seems to disappear once the guy's dead. And then Arnold just walks, makes a, he makes a point to jump off of the roof to not touch the water. And as soon as the guy's dead, he walks clearly through the ele- electrified water. What's going on here, Ben? Yeah. So he, it's very good that he jumps up right away. Um, there's no problem with an axe going through like electrical conduit. That would happen even in our world. The the stuff we use to protect wires isn't gonna survive an axe. Um, okay. <laughs> but but the 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 problem is that the closest path to ground is not the the axe wielder 30 feet away. <laughs> you know, there's probably some sort of drain on the roof, and that's where the electricity is gonna go, um, not to the guy <laughs> 30 feet away. So, you know, movie electricity has some sort of, uh, you know, smartness to it where it knows to seek out the bad guy so it can electrocute it. So there's <laughs> there's some sort of intelligence to electricity in the uh, movie world. <laughs> and it dissipates as soon as he's dead as well, which is the sentience you're talking about. Well, that I assume is, you know, it, it eventually just blew the fuse. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that yeah. was just really good timing. I will say that I'm glad you brought up that scene from another perspective briefly i did like the fact fairly accurate that the bad guy had his hand on a piece Mm. of metal and as he got electrocuted his muscles grabbed it even harder so he couldn't get away and it's definitely true we all know that if you think a fence is electrified you put your back of your hand on it so that when your your hand clenches you're not stuck on the fence you can pull it off yeah if you think it's electrified you definitely don't pee on it which i know people yeah. who have done you just, right. yeah. pro tip there safety tip for everyone out there and and throwing a stick on it isn't going to tell you if it's electrified either <laughs> <laughs> right don't pee on it don't throw a stick on it back of your hand ladies and gentlemen that's what we're here to do or just uh, don't touch it know. at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah if it's electrified maybe you shouldn't be there maybe reconsider where you are uh, all right we got to talk about this before we finish up we would be remiss if we did not talk about the physics of guns both in the in, in bullet supply and accuracy so i'm going to run this down bullets in the real world you get about 15 bullets in a nine millimeter clip that number is exact by the way in the <laughs> in the movie world you get enough bullets to roughly get through the scene of bad guys and you also have incredible accuracy which i'll talk about in a second in the movie movie world you seem to have an unlimited supply of bullets now i do want to mention here one of my favorite uh, unrelated franchises of of movies is the John Wick series and and one of the reasons I like that series so much is they are incredibly accurate with the number of bullets that they use it's actually a piece of art I got to tell you 
Uh, but unrelated there, let me get accuracy really quickly, then I'll get you guys' take on it. In real life, in, in real life, when you have a gun, you hit what you point at. <laughs> in the movie world, you can uh, you get a kill shot in the general direction of what you're pointing at. Uh, good guys and main characters are exempt to that, obviously. And in the movie movie world, you can kill this. You can kill multiple people with the same bullets. Uh, magic bullet style. What did you guys think about the, about the the rules here? How does this really pertain? Then I'm going to go to you first. You know, unfortunately, this is like our cartoon physics. This is the hardest to imagine from just having different physical constants or different laws of physics, right? Because it really is fundamentally weird. Uh, now, it could be... So is quantum qu physics, though, Denon. That's well, fundamentally that's, weird. That's where I was going, Dan. It okay. could be something to do with slightly... Since we don't really understand what a measurement really is in quantum mechanics, it could have something to do with the fact that good guys have a better ability to perform measurements, which cause the bullets to actually hit their targets. And bad guys are not actually measuring where the bullets are going, so they really don't go anywhere. They go everywhere, and they don't actually make contact with the, the people they're pointing it at. Um, the, the unlimited nature of the bullets is even hard to explain, um, I don't know where they're coming from, but it could also just have to do that they have a better technology and guns self-load from out of your pocket and you just carry a lot of, uh, you know, bullets in your pocket. I don't know. I'm making that last one up, Dan. I'm just, I'm, I'm reaching there. Don't know what I'm doing with that one. Well, I did actually just realize I forgot one important physics point that annoys me with movies is the lack of recoil when, when you shoot a bullet. And that's a definite physics question. Uh, maybe the bullets, maybe they don't form until after they leave the gun. I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling stuff <laughs> out of my butt here, too. Well, I, I will say the recoil on this is fun going back to our earlier gravity conversation. Because, in fact, in this movie, sometimes they de do recoil in the movie movie just extra far when they fire. <laughs> right. So there's both no recoil and extra recoil, which clearly has to do with an observation and a quantum effect. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's also possible maybe just when... so. One other thing we see is the the classic you flying 20 feet when you get shot, which does not happen in the real world. A bullet cannot lift you off of your feet. <laughs> but again, in a world where there's less gravity, maybe what's happening is every time you're shooting, you're shooting slightly upwards, which leads you to be pressed down and there's maybe extra friction. So you don't see the recoil on yourself. But when it, then that bullet that's traveling slightly upwards hits somebody, it lifts them up because there's a lack of gravity. And now that they're detached from the ground, th there's no more f extra friction and they go flying. Uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting assessment. I like that. What about the multiple bullets? What do, what do, you, what do you got in bullets here? Uh, they got a belt going through their sleeve. It's just a, it's okay. a magic trick. <laughs> wow. Ask a simple question, get a simple answer, I guess, right? That makes way more sense than my, it's in their pockets and magically getting into the gun. So I, I definitely have to give Ben the Solved. win on that one. Yeah. It's all slight of hand. Yeah. All right. Well, last question before we before we get to the end here. Uh, with with death, right? So in real life, mortal wounds will kill you. We can all agree on that. In the movie world, mortal mortal wounds will kill you when dramatically significant. And in the movie movie world, they make a point to this: mortal wounds equal flesh wounds. Mortal wounds don't really <laughs> exist, especially to the main well to main characters. Obviously, yeah, we're talking about characters here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are very distinct. Now, this has to be a biology question, Denon. You mentioned this earlier. It, 
is that still the case in this situation? I, I would definitely think, think so. This definitely has to do with the features and ways evolution worked and how well you can heal. Um, it also is partly a force question. Perhaps when things are um, lower forces, they respond differently to being torn and they can heal themselves more quickly, kind of the, an inverse effect. Um, so there are some interesting things going on. It's probably a combination of how things evolved and a little bit the physics of the materials that you're made out of as a creature, because that's probably different. That makes sense. Uh, ben, what do you think about this? I'm really curious on your take. Yeah, so I think what, what's going on here is, again, a, an, an interesting evolutionary thing where maybe there's actually two species, the good guys and the bad guys. And the good guys maybe have uh, extra bones or redundant organs, or maybe just their vital bits are in weird places so that when they get shot in the middle of the chest, it's just, it just, there's nothing there. And so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I think redundant organs is brilliant. So four kidneys instead of two, you know, th eight two sets hearts. of lungs. Yeah, two hearts, you know, an extra brain in the somewhere that's not your head. I don't know. I got nothing. Yeah. But, but I think that's a brilliant solution. Um, I think, again, I think Ben nailed this one. And, and, and the bad guys are, are envious of the good guys. And that's why they're always acting poorly. So this is kind of like the humans and the Morlocks in the, in the H.G. Wells exactly. time travel, kind of, in a way. Yeah, that exactly. makes a lot of sense. I think that that's true, and it's why they're always stealing, robbing, and committing crimes, I think, is probably true. Uh, it's really a socioeconomic question is what we're talking about here. Uh, the haves and the have-nots, the, the have extra organs and the have-not extra organs. Uh, that's going to be the real divide in the future. Uh, so let, we've re arrived at the errors, additions, and omissions section, things we want to talk about, but we're not going to. I got some fun ones for this one, but then I want to hear from you first. So really one of my favorite is just the whole rules in the movie movie world. And there's two I'd like to point out. One is when uh, Danny's run, driving his bike and he's convinced that Game of Chicken's going to work because he's a good guy until the moment he realizes he's the comic sidekick and he gets hit by the car and then he looks like E.T. falling in front of the moon. That's an awesome one. The other one is in attempting to prove to Arnold that it's a movie, he tries to get Arnold to swear. Um, and, and say a word that can't be said in a PG-13 movie. And it just made me realize PG-13 doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Ben, what, what do you got here? Well, I, I really love the animated cat, that this is also a world where animated, there's a third species of animated animals that are there for fun and who are also the best guy on the force. Right. And and they don't even need redundant organs because no. they can't even be killed by conventional weapons. Um, I had a couple of fun ones here. So first of all, Arnold as Hamlet. How could you guys not mention that? That's amazing. <laughs> uh, we got Acme products. We got Acme Dynamite. We got an Acme storage center. We got an Acme movie store. Uh, I love this. Uh, you know, Wile E. Coyote is one of my, my favorites, one of my heroes of, of cartoons. Uh, we got a mini disc player in this movie. Obviously, I mentioned the La Brea Tar Pits. Uh, there's this really tropey scene where where Benedict kills a mechanic. And this is kind of strange. This happens in, and I think, in The Mask and, and Adventures in Babysitting. This idea that mechanics work at all hours and they're always, they're up really <laughs> late at night just ready to be killed. And in a million horror movies, this happens as well. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, the movie ends, uh, spoiler alert here, the movie ends with death just roaming the world and there's a half a ticket left over which I feel like was there for a sequel which they never got to. Uh, hopefully, as you guys, you know, this is top three I was top one, but now it's top three for you guys. I know you guys probably want to see a, a sequel on this, but it may not happen. Dan, I do have to add to the errors and additions that, of course, what we've discussed here 
explains your concern about Total Recall of people missing each other with the shots. Oh, yeah. And so we do need to make that acknowledgement and connection um, between our two episodes. And this movie probably has more connections to past episodes that we've done than almost any other movie out there. And there even is um, the Terminator, what, T-1000 shows up briefly in this movie. So fun from that perspective. Wait, did it? Where? I think the cop, um, when he takes the version of the cop that he is as the Terminator T-1000 is briefly in the movie oh, in the police station. Man, I missed that one. Oh, what a great <laughs> Easter egg, Denon. That's amazing. Um, I love that. Hey, look, if I missed any other Easter eggs in this movie, you got to let me know. Um, you can find the show, of course, uh, at F at Pod on Twitter, at FGGBT. Let us know if there's anything you want us to, to do for our next episode, anything you want us to analyze for you. I am the analytical mastermind mine, as you know. Uh, but Denon, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Denon Michael. You just switched my names. And then on Facebook, it's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So this, we've really given you guys a lot of different worlds to live in. Uh, I feel like if you found yourself a magical ticket and found yourself hopping between quantum worlds, you do all right. But be careful. There's a lot of unpredictable stuff out there. And once you've mastered it, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn co-production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening